It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Not quite. Come on. It's a Friday. It's practically summer. I think Jimmy's coming in today when there's money to be made, yo. He's on the road. He's doing great things. He's hosting Gutfeld tonight, I believe, first, and then probably has a slew, a cadre of comedic appearances to make. That's what happens when you're Jimmy Fallon, the busiest man in show business. I am Joe Concha, however. You probably, if you watch Fox News, you turn it on any given morning at around 5.24 a.m., like this morning, you saw me on there with Todd Pyro and Ashley Stroheimer. And that's fine. If I didn't go out to dinner last night, I never go out to dinner, like ever. White Castle, Arby's, does that count? No, drive throughs don't count. This was actually something you sat down. It was in New York, some fancy restaurant in a billion years I couldn't afford. When you get invited and the host says it's on me, you don't say no. So that was that. But I didn't get home till like 11 o'clock. And then when you got to get back up at 4, let's put it this way. Pixie sticks, all right, Duncan. You combine those two things, and we should be able to get through these three hours unscathed. Anyway. Uh, I'm also a columnist for The Messenger. You're like, what the hell is The Messenger? Well, it just it just launched this week, so you're forgiven for not knowing exactly what that is. But TheMessenger.com. Picture the Daily Mail meets the New York Post meets the Wall Street Journal. All right? So we got the steak and we got the sizzle. Got opinions from both sides. A novel concept, I know. But you want a wide net, right? So why only provide one perspective? All perspectives and opinion, and the reporting is actually objective and down the middle. I know, it's crazy, but it's going to work, and already we're seeing some nice numbers. But do visit it today, themessenger.com. I'll have a column going up tomorrow on the state of media in 2023. We're not going to talk about that, though. Talk about the big news going on right now, which is obviously this. (laughs) these hearings around FBI whistleblowers coming forward risking their careers, receiving death threats. And they're talking about, obviously, the weaponization of the federal government and especially the Federal Bureau of Investigations, which has now played a hand in the last two presidential elections, right? I mean, we all remember James Comey in 2016, and boy, he was a visible FBI director. The Hillary people hated him. The Trump people hated him. He's sticking his nose into everything instead of just doing his job and staying below the radar. And that's the thing about these intelligence officials, by the way. All right. Why is it that we're told that these people do their job without any fear or favor to party? That, in other words, they are neutral. They are simply enforcing the law and protecting our American citizens. Right. Whether you're talking FBI or CIA or, you know, NDI, whatever. Right. However, in this case and in case after case, what does Comey do after he leaves office? Does he just go off into the sunset, go work for some think tank? go work as a a consultant somewhere, you know, private security, whatever, something, right? No, he's on TV every day, CNN, MSNBC. He writes not one, but two anti-Trump books, and then also gets a documentary on Showtime, turning him into the most sympathetic figure you'll see since, like, Princess Die, all right? And, and, And in every interview, and particularly his Twitter feed, which is 
almost profoundly bizarre. You can't tell the difference between him and Keith Olbermann, all right, as far as just the, the anti-conservative, anti-Trump sentiment coming from this guy. And it doesn't stop with Comey. It goes then to John Brennan, former head of the CIA. And this guy is on MSNBC, and you can't tell the difference between him and Rachel Maddow, all right? And again, he ran the CIA, but all he was hired for at NBC and MSNBC as a national security analyst was to break down exactly why Trump was dangerous to the country. That's it. No talk of, of all the norms that, that the Biden administration and the Obama administration have broken and been proven to break. No, this is going to be the anti-Trump show. Then Andrew McCabe, he's number two at the FBI. He gets fired for leaking to the Wall Street Journal sensitive information in order to push a narrative. Fired. So you would think no TV station, no news organization would ever touch this guy. And like five minutes later, he's hired by CNN to talk about ethics in law enforcement. You can't make this. I almost went there. Stuff up. And Peter Strzok, the guy with Lisa Page, the most unromantic guy in the world. You see the text between these two when, when, when they were cheating on their respective spouses? I mean, I would, I don't know. Hey, didn't you love that? Fifty Shades movie last night? Like, have some texts that have a little bit of, I don't know, romance in it. Well, Fifty Shades isn't romance, but you get the point, right? And instead, it's all about how are we going to take down Trump? Oh, we need to get Hillary in. Oh, we need an insurance policy. Jeez, you people are exciting. Uh, can you imagine what, what a dinner date sounds like if that, those are the texts? Uh, anyway, so they're on TV. Lisa Page gets signed by MSNBC. Peter Strzok also all over the place and gets a book deal as well. I, I got countless, countless examples of this but since when do we see all these people in the intelligence agency then go on to cable news to become the most partisan pundits in the world that should be concerning because if they're talking this way on television they probably acted the way they talk on television when they had their respective jobs in helping to maintain our democracy which is crumbling before our eyes and i don't i don't talk that way believe me anyway one democrat yesterday and her name is linda sanchez all right she tried and as you're going to hear, failed to link a random Twitter user's actions to an FBI whistleblower because she found a tweet, or somebody on her ridiculously stupid staff found a tweet with the name Marcus Allen 00784 on Twitter, right? Now, I don't know. I'm thinking that Marcus Allen, considering it's two first names, it's kind of a common name, right? Including the most famous Marcus Allen of all. Number 32 for the Oakland, Los Angeles, back to Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders. The great Marcus Allen. Cue the music, guys. I need the Raider theme. It, it, it doesn't work unless I have. Ah, thank you. Now it works. So anyway, there is an FBI guy named Marcus Allen who comes forth. Again, death threats. You think he's going to work at the FBI again? You know, they'll make sure that this guy never sees the light of day when it comes to this sort of thing. Because, again, you could go on cable TV and talk bad things about Trump and you get big, big, you know, big, big contracts. But this Marcus Allen, oh, no, he's just going before that this House committee. And, of course, Democrats who loved whistleblowers under Trump. Min, min, anyone? Now, this congresswoman is trying to pin the great Marcus Allen, who actually isn't the Marcus Allen from the Raiders, but just a Marcus Allen. And they go back and forth in terms of whether this Twitter account belonged to this particular Marcus Allen. Guys, do we have the uh, the back and forth on that? Have you ever used Twitter, yes or no? I have utilized Twitter, yes. Okay, and is your account 
at Marcus A9705645. That is absolutely not my account. <laughs> okay, that's not your account. Well, on December 5th, 2022, an account under the name Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, That quote, is not my account, ma'am. You haven't let me finish the question, might sir. Have been the football player. You haven't let me finish the question. On Dece and the time is mine. On December 5th, 2022, an account under the name of Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, quote, Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th, retweet if you agree, end quote. Do you agree with that statement? Yes or no? No, ma'am. That's not my account at all. I have I'm no asking idea. whether you agree with the statement that this person tweeted that Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th? I, yes I or don't. no? No. What the? I mean, you're caught dead to rights, this congresswoman who was hell-bent on reading what was put in front of her. She's like the Ron Burgundy of Congress. Put it in front of Linda Sanchez. Sanchez will read. And after Marcus Allen, the FBI Marcus Allen, says over and over again, it's not my account, she should have said, my bad, I, I, I'm going on false information here, and I apologize, sir, and thank you for your service, sir. Instead, it's, all right, I know you didn't write this tweet, but do you agree with the other Marcus Allen? Now, what's funny is that there's some people on Twitter who have actually found some tweets from a Linda Sanchez, not the congresswoman Linda Sanchez, but some other Linda Sanchez that said that Donald Trump is the greatest president of all time. So he should have turned that around if he had that stuff in front of him, that, 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 that sort of documentation. Uh, congresswoman, let me answer your question by asking this. Linda Sanchez on Twitter says that Donald Trump's the greatest president of all time. Will you go on the record now and agree with that? Well, it, that's not my, my account. I never wrote that. No, no, I know that. But somebody with your name wrote it. Therefore, you're responsible for their words. We are governed by children, people. I mean, we've seen bad stuff on the Hill. Nothing compares to this. And, and, and I can't remember even the last time. Then she goes on to say, is it true, Marcus Allen? Here, the music again, guys, because it only has a great effect here when we uh, add the uh, Raiders. Do, 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 do. Thank you. Is it true, Marcus Allen? that you were upset that Bo Jackson was taking too many carries away from you after he joined the Raiders, especially in goal line situations. And that owner, Al Davis, rest in peace, in particular did not like you because you held out on your contract one year. Wouldn't that be funny? And then she would go on to ask something like, oh, wait a minute. Sir, did you not play for the Kansas City Chiefs, an organization that perpetuates racist tropes against Native Americans? You could see this going on and on. Oh, that's where Democrats lost right there. But here's the problem. There's a writer's strike. So Colbert, Kimmel, and Fallon, and the insufferable Seth Meyers, if i got to see that Verizon commercial one more time, I, I, I mean, I, I can't take this person. So they get off the hook because any other late-night comedian would have absolutely covered that exchange with Marcus Allen and mocked this congresswoman into oblivion. Imagine if somebody like, I don't know, Matt Gates said something like that, all right, or MTG. Or pick your uh, MAGA Republican here, right? It made a mistake like that. All over the place, particularly CNN. Oh, boy, you get some pious lectures from over there. Rachel Maddow will come in from her one day a work uh, week, work week, to just to do a show on the whole thing. And the other networks didn't even touch this exchange. Didn't even touch it. Again, it's the protection program of the Democratic Party. Journalism has now morphed into activism. No question about that. Anyway. We got a great show coming up for you, by the way, guys. We have Carol Roth, 
who is my favorite guest. Every time I get to guest host, she's always the first person I call because this is a person. Yeah, she was on CNBC for like 15 years. She's on Fox Business all the time now. Uh, she's a great entrepreneur, but a great mind and funny, right? We're here to have a little fun. You go to her Twitter feed, at Carol J. Roth. Believe me, you will laugh. And it's smart humor, too. Not that other kind of humor. That, you know, contrived, like try to make it funny just for the sake of being funny. Funny gal. Uh, Tommy Laren, who has a great podcast over on OutKick. I joined her, I believe, last week, week before. She's always fun, and she's doing Outnumbered. And then afterwards, she's going to come up to the studio and talk to us. So that is going to be awesome as well. we got Congressman Greg Stubbe and Debbie Lascaux. So we, we got a, a tremendous show lined up for you on this Friday, almost summer, the week before Memorial Day. You can smell it now at this point. But do know that from this point on, you have 16 weekends, 16, until Labor Day. You've earned it. Enjoy it. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. This is Fox Across America, Fox News Radio. Back with more in just a moment. Call and speak to Jimmy now. I'm trying to use the phone. 888-788-9910. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Well, well, well. I'm liking the music. Usually I, I choose the music, or at least I offer suggestions to our wonderful uh, producing team here. Uh, but that was Our House. I was a young, young man at that time. But what a great song. I believe it's from Madness. Like one of those one-hit wonders, right? Like Dexy's Midnight Runners, Come On Eileen. Like one huge song and then done. You'd think like, they could build on it. But I guess sometimes it's hard to have things that, that catch on. You look at, like, you know, U2. How long they've been around for? 83, I guess they came onto the scene, like, in, in a big way. And now, what is it, 2023? I, I still see they're putting out new stuff and touring. I mean, to, to have longevity like that for 40 years, and that, 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 that's insane. Anyway, before we go off on a tangent, this is Joe Concha, in for Jimmy Fallon, Fox Across America. You can catch me on Fox Business at 4.30 with the great Larry Kudlow. And then at 7.30-ish, Jesse Waters primetime. No Jesse. We got Rachel Campos-Duffy on tonight, and I will be on with her husband, Sean Duffy. Do you people know... They have nine kids. Like, remember when Ferris Bueller was uh, absent nine times? That's one thing to be absent nine times. It's another thing altogether to have nine kids. I have two. And my wife and I are playing man-to-man, so to speak, and it's still, like, virtually impossible to keep up. I I don't know how a single mom survives in this world, or a single dad for that matter, because the two of us, when we're not working and we both work, it's just we're one big Uber, you know, operation. Uh, yesterday, I, I take one to practice, and by, and by the time the other practice is about to end, then I can take the other one to that practice, get the other kid, bring that person over to the practice. That person, my, my son in this case, that person watches the practice, and then after that, they got to do their homework. Then after that, I got to feed them, and then after that, I got to get them to bed. It's like I, I, I am exhausted, you know, completely exhausted. And, and then, then I go to the dinner thing after that. Oh, and then I was on a 5.30 this morning. I know I sound like I'm complaining because it's not like I work in construction, which I once did. This is something that is just a whole different kind of fatigue that if you don't have kids, look, I embrace it. It's a good thing. But, boy, it's expensive. That's why I have, like, eight jobs. So I'm, I'm working on a book, Not Your Daddy's Donkeys, it's called. It's how... 
the media drove the Democratic Party way off the cliff. And it's true. It's true. And I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to explain that later in the show. But it follows my bestseller. Come on, man. The truth about Joe Biden's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad presidency. That's the thing now. you got to have a long title. It can't just be Orca, right? Moby Dick. <laughs> Winds of War. No, you got to have like a paragraph, basically, as a title to really get the, uh, the interest into it. So it, that, that's kind of a bug. So I write for them. I write for TheMessenger.com. I'm a Fox News contributor all over the dial, filling in for Jimmy today. And who knows what else is coming on down the line. But uh, it's, it's a labor of love. We'll, we'll just put it that way, everybody. Uh, well, we have an announcement, some breaking news. Tim Scott, looks like he's jumping in. I haven't seen an official uh, an announcement as far as, like, a Tim Scott, like, soundbite. But it, all, all intents and purposes, he did the exploratory committee, which means nothing, right? That's just a way of, like, hey, donors over here, getting ready to jump in. That's all that is. Nothing gets explored in any way, shape, or form. So the, the Trump campaign, which... You know, I was talking to the producers here, and we were kind of thinking, well, he's not going to go after Tim Scott the way he went after Ron DeSantis uh, during these months because Tim Scott is a guy that's liked on both sides of the aisle. Tim Scott worked well with Donald Trump, has never insulted him in any way, shape, or form, even though Trump is very easily insulted, as we know. Uh, well, this is how <laughs> the Trump camp responded. Ron DeSantis's failed shadow campaign has opened the floodgates for career politicians looking to seize an opportunity to raise their profile ahead of the 2028 race. Tim Scott's entrance and aggressive media purchase doesn't only kneecap DeSantis, but Scott sees the same thing as Yunkin, Sununu, Burgum, not sure who that is, Christie, and others. The path to second place is wide open. They smell Ron DeSantis' blood in the water, and they no longer see him as an obstacle. All right, and that is not from Trump, but that is from the CEO of Make America Great Again. And there's all these facts below about Tim Scott as far as him spending or supporting to spend billions, tens of billions to Ukraine. Uh, Obviously, he talked about voting to confirm Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary. So they're they're, they're finding things where they're trying to separate Tim Scott from the, the nice image that he has at this point. But I think the key to this whole statement is career politicians looking to seize an opportunity to raise their profile ahead of the 2028 race in other words this is just really so they can say hey we i ran for president once i'm running again a la reagan in 76 and then 80 and obviously tim scott's got a very very tough road ahead of him because basically it's going to be a bunch of guys fighting for one half of the pie and then that core base of trump keeping his core support more candidates in the race Better it is for Trump. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon, Fox Across America. Back with Carol Roth in just a moment. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. And welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fail. It's Fox Across America. Oh, we got a phone number, by the way, to share. 888-788-9910. 888-788-9910. It's your toll-free number. Remember that toll-free? You could 
pick up a phone and it wasn't going to appear on your phone bill. There were these things called phone bills way back when. They would, every call you would make that was out of your area code, 35 cents. I remember one time at band camp, I called my parents and spoke for uh, an insane amount of time. Uh, and apparently, and I charged it to them. It was like a collect call. <laughs> it was like $19, which at the time was like 59 and uh, they never answered it again. It was uh, not good. Time to grow up, Joe. I was nine. Anyway, Carol, Carol Roth, recovering investment banker, author of the new book, You Will Own Nothing and Like It. Oh, you should have added that, Carol, but You Will Own Nothing on July 18th. Available for pre-order now. Her Twitter account, at Carol J.S. Roth. Carol, how are you? How's the hair, more importantly, today? Up, down? It, it, it. It's, it's Friday, so as you know, I'm an advocate for uh, small government and big hair. So we have the big capitalistic hair today, which we will be showing off on Twitter later, along with, you'll like this little little uh, nugget, I'm wearing a Duke and Duke Commodities Brokers t-shirt as a nod to my favorite uh, movie, Trading Places. That is tremendous. And, and you know what was on a couple of days ago, Carol, was um, Coming to America. <laughs> another classic, another yeah, classic. But they work in the Dukes, which is amazing because Trading Places, I want to say, was 1983. Someone could look that up for me, but I'm pretty sure that was 1983. And then five years later, Coming to America comes out. And Eddie Murphy is a different character. He's not uh, – it was Bobby Valentine, right? And no, Billy Ray. Billy Ray Billy Valentine Ray. Capricorn <laughs> from Trading Places. And then That's obviously, right. you know, he was the prince and coming to America. And I know right. exactly where you're going with this. He gives uh, the money to the Dukes, and he, they said, we're back. Yeah, we're back, Mortimer. <laughs> Randall. So great. And they're, yeah, they're great. bums. That's such, a, such a simpler time. It was a simpler time. You're right. And by the way, for everybody who's like, how do you not know Billy, uh, Billy Ray Valentine? I was talking with the producer right before we went on, and uh, Mr. Producer is going to uh, the Met game tonight. And the Mets ah. used to be managed by Bobby Valentine. So that somehow that snuck into my head. That's the way my brain works, you know. It, it happens. It happens. It, it does happen. That's true. So, Carol, what do you make of the current financial state of the country? We still have inflation that's three times higher than it was when Joe Biden took office, even though the, the media and this administration would be like, wow, look, inflation's way down. Yeah, from an all-time high, right? It's, it's like me gaining 40 pounds, and then I lose 15 back, and I go to, go to brag to my wife saying, hey, honey, lost a lot of weight. You know, it's not no, the way it's, it works. It's, it's, it's not even that. It's you gaining 50 pounds, and then the next year you gain 20 pounds, and you go, oh, look, the, the rate of my growth in my weight gain is slowing. That's what's happening here. It's not even coming backwards. Oh, right. It's point. just increasing at a slower rate. So everything that's happening in the economy, whether it's the inflation or the debt or spending, they're, they're always talking about a slower growth rate, and we're supposed to applaud that when we really have a runaway fiscal train that's headed off the tracks. That is, you know, I've screwed up that analogy then, which I've used on national television on multiple occasions. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to adjust that. You're right. I'm still gaining weight. I'm just not gaining it as fast. Ah, yes. This, this is, is this is why I'm the financial expert, Joe. This Precisely. Is so I can, so I can correct Thank you these, for that. These financial analogies and help us get back to a place here in the country. And you know, it, it's crazy because we have people keep talking about 
and keep talking about, you know, what a great position we're in and the fact that, you know, the, the economy does continue to grow at the same time the Fed is trying to slow it down. But individually, you know, people are, are headed towards what I'm calling personal recessions, where they are basically using up their savings and they are putting more on credit cards and taking on more debt in order to keep pace with their lifestyle and continue to fund this growth, which is obviously, um, you know, a, a bad position for the individual. It means that their wealth is being drained um, in order to, to keep pace and to be able to live the way that they, they have because inflation steals that wealth and that purchasing power from you. And, you know, the fact that the Biden administration says that they're, they're a champion of, of the middle class and that, you know, there's no taxes on the middle class, well, the reality is that this inflation is a permanent tax, and the the um, brunt of it is borne by the the middle and working class. And so, you know, I think that the the GOP is trying to step into that position and say, no, we really have the backs of the people who are working, and we're trying to to quote unquote cut cut back on this budget. But like we just talked about, even their proposal still grows spending. It just grows it at a, a smaller rate. What we really need to do is go back, and this is not very far back in time. We just need to go back to pre-COVID levels of spending, like 2018 or 2019. If we just spent in that range, we would have, and it's still, by the way, an enormous amount of money, but we would have a surplus. We would be able to start paying down the nearly $32 trillion of debt. We'd be able to shrink those interest costs that are eating into the budget, and we would start to to slowly turn that that train you know back on the tracks and not let it it, it run completely away. But instead, you've got one side that wants to just spend into oblivion, and then the other one that's like, oh, let's just you know we'll spend more, but just not quite as much as that. It's it's a really really challenging situation and time. And at the end of the day, this hurts your individual wealth. Wow. That's, that's bleak, ominous. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. But Carol speaks <laughs> truth here. Uh, she is the author of You Will Own Nothing. Pre-order that now. It's going to be a bestseller. Probably run out of them. So you, you get them now while you can. I don't know if you saw this, Carol. Uh, Bank Rates Annual Emergency Fund Report says that 68% of people, so about 7 in 10, are worried that they won't be able to cover their living expenses for just one month if they lost their primary source of income. And then when push comes to shove, about 6 in 10 say they will be unable to afford a $1,000 emergency expense if it came up. Now, let me tell you about my week, all right, because I don't know who I pissed off in the heavens, but my goodness, in the span of one week, and this is complete and total nonfiction, my car granted 189,000 miles, so I drove it as far as I possibly could. Basically, the axle was about to fall off, and for the low, low price of $5,000, I could fix everything. And I said, you know what? At this point, the car isn't worth $5,000, so I'm not going to put that money into it. So that was sent off to the charity gods. Then my air conditioner decided that it's time to go. You know what an air conditioner goes for these days? You know, the central air kind? I By can't the time even, we were I can't done even with imagine this, with inflation how, how much that sets you back. So 
so it's a new air conditioner. Then we added a second for the upstairs because we could have it at 60 downstairs, and somehow it's still 85 upstairs. It's remarkable. So you have what's called two zones. So you get a smaller one, you put it in the attic, and that only does the upstairs. So by the time I did all of that and replaced the furnace, which the AC guy said, oh, that's about to go too, that was $18,000. Then oh the gosh. water softener decides to go. That's the thing that makes your water not as hard. That's $2,000. But before the water softener goes, it decides to have a massive leak that we can't see, that it goes into the wall, then underneath my floor, it destroys my floor downstairs in my cellar. That I haven't even gotten to that cost yet because we haven't even started to address that. I, I could go on and on as far as things that cost things, but pretty much hit with like a $30,000 bill within one week. And it is just I'm telling you, I'm looking now for another job on top of all my other jobs because with the kids' expenses and everything, I can't take it. I just don't know how anybody affords anything. So i got to think that people are just putting it on their credit cards and then worrying about it later. And that, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that increase in in credit card spending, and obviously it's a, a double whammy because you never want to put it on a credit card because it's obviously an expensive um, way to finance. But with the Fed raising interest rates and that flowing through, and you know the the financial system, um, your credit card rates now are even more expensive than they were just a few years ago. So, you know, whatever, whatever that $18,000 that you think you're spending, then you have to add in all of the financing costs, and it makes it more and more uh, expensive. And what's really scary about those statistics that you shared, Joe, is, you know, obviously people are living month to month. They're counting on the fact that they will have a job. But what the Federal Reserve is doing is that they're trying to basically break the labor market. They're trying to, to – get unemployment up as a way to cool off inflation and cool the economy. So think about all of the people that they are putting at risk because of their negligent, indulgent, reckless policy and the government's reckless policy over the past several years. And again, that is coming on the backs of the individual Americans. They're, they're actively trying, the Fed is, to cool things down. Now, of course, the government's doing the opposite. The government continues to spend, trying to make the, the Fed's job, job harder, but that just creates a disconnect and means that when that finally does break, it's going to be even uglier. So my heart goes out um, to you know, every American who is struggling because of this bad financial policy, it's part of what I talk about in You Will Own Nothing, and we really do need to, to write this financial train, get it back on the tracks, which can be done, but we just need some fortitude to do it because we literally cannot afford otherwise. And particularly Gen Zers and Millennials, Carol, the author of You Will Own Nothing. And here's the thing. 85% of Gen Zers can't afford a $1,000 emergency. I mean, eight, 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 that that many – so what, what's going to happen? In other words, I don't think these kids, just to sound like a curmudgeon, are being taught on the high school level, college level, remotely how to do a budget, anything about credit, and, and obviously the damage that bad credit can do to your own financial situation for the rest of your life. Uh, all these things, I feel like – yeah, I, I know you can take econ classes, but I say mandatory for everybody that you should at least take a budgeting and credit class 
uh, at least on the high school level, just to get an understanding of what you're about to embark on. Because all I remember is when I got to college and they have the student union, right, that you walk by and you get your books and everything. And when you walk out, there's like eight credit card companies there with, with tables saying, hey, apply. Yeah. Now, you have no credit at that point, but you have clean credit because you have no credit. And that's before you know it, I'm on spring break in Panama City being, drinks on me. And then I get the bill back. I'm like, I can't pay this, right? So I, I worked my butt off that summer to, to make sure that that got paid off. But still, uh, it, it's not. So, by the way, I forgot to bring this up, Carol. My kid, nine years old, soccer player, good soccer player. Her team is one of the top ranked in New Jersey. How they rank nine-year-old teams, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but they do. They, they win all the time. So you, I'm not... you, gave, you gave them some money, right? You, gave, you flipped them 100 bucks, and now all of a sudden your kid's team is, is the top ranked nine-year-old team, right? Oh, well, I'm slipping a lot of money towards the soccer people these days <laughs> because then the, the coach announces to us, we got another tournament. We found some great competitive teams. Where do you think I'm going? South Jersey? Maybe Pennsylvania? Oh, no. I'm going to San Diego. I'm flying 3,000 miles to watch my kid play soccer. You know what this is going to cost me? You know what flights to San Diego are these days? That It's five nights of hotel, and God knows what the dinners are. And, oh, let's go see a Padres game. It's like another 10000 at all. I'm screwed. I need help. Give me a stock to buy. I'll just bet it all. Well, you know, the, at least – Today, your dollar still has some purchasing power, although it's being eroded very quickly. But if we continue on the trajectory, I hope you have a stockpile of some precious metals, maybe some gold and silver, um, so that you'll actually have something of value in the future. Because whatever it's going to cost you to take your kid today, um, in a few years, you know, it could be three times as much based on the the trajectory and where we're going. And then, God forbid, um, you know, things continue you on the same path. I mean, just think about college, you know, looping back to what you were saying about Gen Z, you know, since the government has nationalized the large part of college lending, it has yeah. been a transfer of wealth from young people to colleges and universities, and particularly these administrators that are getting paid, you know, in the, into the six figures. The U.S. government has become the largest predatory lender in the country. They are lending, you know, kids who are teenagers at the time uh, sums of money for degrees that aren't getting the ROI, and that is saddling them with debt and puts them behind. So no wonder they cannot pay their emergency funds and they cannot, um, you know, kind of get ahead, let alone think about starting a family or buying a house because they are saddled with this debt that didn't give them a return on investment because the government is in cahoots with the colleges and the colleges are getting wealthier at the kids' expense. Oh, I'm so depressed after this conversation because everything you're saying (laughs) is accurate. We're going to leave it here, okay? you got 15 seconds. We're going to ask this question. It's on Carol's uh, Twitter feed uh, from two days ago. What store that went out of business do you wish you could bring back? What was your answer, Carol? So since people went into restaurants, there was a restaurant in the in the 80s in Florida called uh, Mr. Gump's that had like an arcade in it and a little store where you could buy like, you know, fun 80s stickers and posters and stuff. So I want to port back to the 80s and bring back Mr. Gump's. What about oh, you, Joe? Totally work. I was big on Caldor myself. You know, big on the Caldor. 
Probably because I could bike to it from my house. Like it was a lot of the, service merchandise people. A lot of people really loved that c- conveyor belt. They like to see their purchases come down the conveyor. Very interesting. That was the coolest part. Anyway, she is the author of You Will Own Nothing and Like It. I'm adding that to your, to your title if that's okay. <laughs> and that's out July 18th. Please pre-order it now. Carol J. Roth, have an excellent weekend. Go Bears! We could actually win this division this year because it is that week. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll hold you to that, Joe. Have a great weekend. <laughs> It's all hope. Uh, Joe Conch in for Jimmy Fail of Fox Across America. Back with more in just a moment. It's America's number one radio lunch date. Get your hands out of my fries. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Buy your own damn fries. Welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for the great Jimmy Fail. 888-788-9910. If you wish to opine, let me go through something here real quick. And it's it's so damaging to, I can't even call him a competitor, but CNN, what they got going on over there, the inmates are officially running the asylum. I mean, I'll review it quickly. Jeff Zucker gets fired. They say it was because of an affair with a coworker. No, that, that, that wasn't it. And ratings were tanking at that point. So they bring in this guy, Chris Licht, who was the executive producer of Stephen Colbert's show. But he has a mandate from his new bosses at Discovery, which say that he has to bring this back to the CNN that we saw under Bernard Shaw, a credible news organization that people look to like a spare tire. You know, when things go wrong, you go to the spare tire. When news breaks, you go to CNN. It had that reputation for a very long time. And then basically up until Trump, because I used to go on that network as recently as like 2015 with Aaron Burnett. Yes, Don Lemon. I never walked off a set and said, boy, that guy's really a liberal. He was a different guy then. You know, Cuomo, all of them. Uh, And then Trump came and then they decided to be the resistance network like MSNBC 2.0. Now, they're trying to go back to the middle, but the problem is you still have all these people within the organization that are loyal to Jeff Zucker. So now they're trying to take out Chris Licht, the new president. And the audacity, apparently, that CNN had was putting Donald Trump on their air and giving him a town hall. And you have Anderson Cooper, the night after the town hall, tell his viewers, and how he still has a job, I don't care what his contract looks like, I don't care how long he's been there, when you say to your viewers, I don't blame you if you never watch this network again. Christina Amanpour does a speech yesterday saying the same thing. We apologize, we never should have put that that tyrant on the air. He's the leading guy for the GOP nominee, he's a former president. You're going to ignore him? Come on. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon, back with more, and Tommy Laren in just a moment. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hello, everybody. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon on this spring Friday afternoon. 67 degrees, partly sunny skies, high pollen count here in New York. But besides that, we're looking at Preakness Stakes this weekend down in Baltimore. Always, I don't watch horse racing at any level, except for, obviously, when we have the Kentucky Derby, then you want to see if the Kentucky Derby winner is going to win the Preakness, and then you have a Triple Crown possibility, which does not happen very often at all. So that's basically the sports front this weekend as far as the NBA playoffs. you got Lakers and Nuggets. Uh, Lakers are already down 0-2, so a must-win situation for them tomorrow. you got this Miami Heat team, which is an 8-seed, which doesn't happen in the NBA that 8-seeds continue to win. And sure enough, they're up 1-0 on the Boston Celtics. They play tonight. NHL playoffs. There was a game last night, the Kane 
Saints and the Panthers, right? Not exactly an original six matchup. It went, I think, six overtimes? Was it five? I don't know. I mean, how these guys are going to skate again, I have no idea. But Tommy Laren is with us right now, the great Tommy Laren. She hosts a wonderful, wonderful podcast on OutKick. I know because I've joined on several occasions. And uh, she is married to a former Major League Baseball player. It's kind of a thing at Fox, apparently, because Kaylee McEnany is married to a former Major League Baseball player. Uh, Casey, and I forgot her last name. I feel like a a moron. Uh, McDonald, that's right. Yes. uh, is married to Eric Hosmer of my uh, Chicago Cubs. So, uh, Tommy, I played uh, for about five minutes in college, so uh, thanks for joining us. And how was Outnumbered today? It looked like a good show. I couldn't hear, but I, I did see from afar that it was a very demonstrative uh, day on the couch. Well, as long as you could see the color wheel in play, Joe, then that's all you really needed to see to know that it was a great show. So we had a great time. I'm so glad that you're not asking me about sports because that intro there, I was a little concerned that you were going <laughs> to ask me about no. whatever game was happening. I know about the New York Mets and uh, that. That is about it. So thank goodness we're not talking about sports because I couldn't offer much for you. We did the big Sunday show right during Super Bowl Sunday. We did actually two shows. We did it before and after. And and you explained that to me. And I'm like, wow. All right. That's cool that your husband, you know, when you when he comes home from work, because now he's a coach in the Mets organization. It's not like he's going to talk your off about sports. You give him that that escapism from what otherwise is probably a very demanding job. Correct. Here's the deal. I love baseball, so I could talk baseball with you. Sure. All the other sports, though, you know, just not really my thing. But this is baseball season, so I'm so happy. You know, everybody gets so excited when football starts. No, not me, because then I have to hear about the Tennessee Volunteers way more than I want to hear about the Tennessee Volunteers, right? So I just want to talk about baseball. I'm good with baseball, but, you know, I also love a little politics. Unfortunately, they're basically all the same thing anymore, though. Tommy's like half of uh, Fox News that now lives in Nashville. <laughs> we should just move the headquarters there. We could sell out like every studio show and then some. Uh, but we are talking to Miss Tommy Laren. She is the uh, podcast host on Outkick. Uh, Outkick obviously was purchased by Fox uh, not too long ago, so all in the family. Uh, but you know what? I, I, I talked to you about this maybe a couple weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating for this audience as far as the fact that the GOP, Tommy, has a real problem because you're a millennial, right? Has a, a big problem reaching voters like you in terms of outreach, right? And and here you have President Biden who talks a good game when it comes to TikTok. But in the end, he's going to use that probably more than Twitter, probably more than Facebook or YouTube as far as reaching young voters. Ah, Chinese spyware, who cares? we got an election to win. Meanwhile... It doesn't seem like Republicans have any sort of team of influencers that are going out to young voters who could be persuaded very easily, by the way, when you consider student loans uh, didn't come as far as forgiveness from Biden. He just did that as a gambit to get votes in the midterms. And obviously they have all this debt. They also are suffering from inflation. I could go on and on, but the GOP can make a very compelling argument to them. The problem is they're not talking to them. No, you're exactly right. No, the other day on my show, on my Outkick show, I had Scott Pressler. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but that man does so much work, so much ground game, registering voters, making sure people are educated about early voting, ballot harvesting where it's legal. And he has been determined to get an army together of millennial and Gen Z voters out there, influencers, right? Like the Biden White House, of course, is weaponized. And people that are not doing it to get money, but doing it because they're actually passionate about these policies, these politics about young people getting involved and unfortunately for scott pressler the rnc has ignored him on this so 
We do need to do better, but the RNC needs to do better, too. We have no ground game to reach young people outside of young people that are doing it, like myself, on social media, right? So we're doing the best we can. But the fact that we don't have an institutional and organizational approach to this is a travesty. It's an abomination. We can't just keep catering to the 50 and above crowd. We need to reach young voters where they are on social media. I'm not a TikToker. I don't believe in spy balloons or spyware on my phone. But we need to reach them where they are, and that's through podcasting, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We need to make sure we are reaching the young people because we will not win future elections if we just continue to call them weird and dumb and we don't make an effort. And we're talking to Tommy Laren, and she's exactly right on this, where it used to be you just took the young vote for granted because they're not really involved. You know, they're they're in their phones, right? Uh, I saw a poll this week. It's incredible. 60% of millennials would give up the right to vote before they give up the right to go on their phones and go on the Internet. I mean, that's amazing, right? Like, ah, screw democracy. I, I need access. I, I got to be talking to my friends on the phone. Uh, but Tommy Laren is Fearless is the, the podcast. Uh, you can tune into it every day on OutKick. And I'm telling you, Tommy, you're so right as far as young voters and the GOP not making an effort to, to reach them, and they are coming out more and more in droves. I guess the question is – even if there isn't an outreach, I mean, don't they feel the same thing we do as far as inflation, crime? Don't they see what's going on at the border and being like, hey, that, that doesn't look right? And, boy, I'm really struggling just to live from paycheck to paycheck. I would think they would look at an alternative. But does the GOP have, like, a branding problem where we're seen as, for lack of a better word, evil and Democrats are the good guys who have their best interests at heart? Yeah, so that's the problem, that the left has done a great job of convincing young people that the Democrat Party is the party of tolerance and love and compassion. We know that that is not the case, but unfortunately, we have not made an effort to change that perception. But there's a lot of young people out there that I wish that I could tell you they cared about inflation and the economy and the border and how much money we're sending to Ukraine. But quite frankly, I'm not sure they do. Right. I'm not sure that they are educated enough to care about those things. Millennials, yes, as they get older, as we get older, we hopefully get jobs, hopefully move out of mom's basement, hopefully have to worry about a mortgage payment and groceries and those kind of things. Millennials, a different story. But when we're talking about Gen Z, I don't think that we're really going to get them to care about those things. What we can get them to care about, though, is freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. There is nothing that young people hate more than being told what to do. So if we can make ourselves, brand ourselves as the party of freedom, which we inherently are, that's how we reach Gen Z. That's how we reach all Americans, quite frankly. A message of freedom is always going to be a winning message. But especially to those young people that think that, you know, climate change and pick your gender is the most important thing, the way that we reach them is through the message of freedom. Tommy Laren, you ever consider running for office? I'm being totally serious. Like, is that something you do down the line or you're like me or like no chance in hell? I'm not going through that <laughs> ringer, you know, and, and have everything dissected going all the way back to my sophomore year of high school. It's like, no, no thanks. Forget about it. Or you like your job and you're just like, I'd rather influence uh, maybe uh, the, the narrative and, and educate people through my podcast, through my appearances on Fox News. Or would you consider running for office one day? 
You know, I don't think so. I'm only 30 years old, so there's a lot of time to decide that. But I really don't think so. You know, right now, it's funny that you say that thinking about running for office. I'm sitting in Jimmy Fallon's studio right now amongst a lot of action figures and trinkets. And so, (laughs) you know, I just think to myself, who would want to leave something like this to go into the world of politics? Who would want to leave the action figure uh, lion and tiger (laughs) I'm looking at in front of me and all the other weird knickknacks? You know, I just like where I am. So I'm going to continue to do this. But my mission really is to reach young people. I've been trying to do that since I started my career at 21. I'm hoping that that's what I've accomplished in some small part, and I'm going to keep doing it. Let's play a game, Tommy Laren, shall we? And it is on a scale of 1 to 10, chances of winning the GOP nomination. All right. Chris Christie is about to announce, we're told. Uh, What chances do you give him? And no, you can't answer a number below zero. Yeah, well, then I guess the only option is one. Uh, The only option is one. I'll make it really simple for you. There is nobody that has a chance outside of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. That is it. Everybody else is entering the race for name ID or to possibly be somebody's vice presidential pick, right? It worked for Kamala. But there is nobody else in this discussion. It is Donald Trump. It is Ron DeSantis. That is it. Everybody else, quite frankly, I, I love some of their ideas. I love Vivek. Uh, I don't like Nikki Haley. But there are going to be others that are going to enter that we might like, but they have no shot at the nomination, no shot at the presidency. It is Don versus Ron. That is it. And we've got enough to tackle with just those two, by the way. There's going to be <laughs> enough of an issue there that we need to focus on. This is true. And I, I wonder, Tommy, and we're talking to Tommy Laren. Donald Trump, this is the question I keep going back to, is he a stronger candidate than he was in 2016, where people got to remember that came down to uh, just a few 10,000 votes in Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. That that very easily could have gone the other way. A victory is a victory, however. I just wonder now in 2024, does he have a stronger hand or a weaker hand? And you can't even look at, like, well, who the opponent is. Like, let's say it is Joe Biden. I, I just wonder if he could pick off, like he did in 2016, suburban moms, blue dog Democrats, and independents, uh, and, and do so in a way where he's going to do it basically by not doing the kind of media tour that he did then when he's guest hosting for Saturday Night Live. That's never happening again. He's on Colbert and Kimmel. He did MSNBC often, CNN often, obviously Fox often. Now, I don't know if he's reaching those voters that he needs to. And is Ron DeSantis ultimately the more electable candidate? So Donald Trump was grossly underestimated in 2015 and in 2016. And then when he was elected, Democrats had a moment where they had a realization that they needed to do something to destroy this man because they cannot take the risk of him running again. And that's what they have dedicated their lives to ever since his inauguration day. All right. That's what they have dedicated themselves to, as we have seen. Unfortunately, I love Donald Trump, right? I wish Donald Trump was my president. I wish he was my president now. I wish he could be my president in 2024. But I have to look at the facts on the ground. And it's very weird what's going on with Donald Trump because as he gains more popularity with Republicans, I think he is being hurt with independents. And and those Democrats that maybe voted for him the first time, those Trumpocrats, right, I am very concerned that he is going to be able to get independents coming into 2024. You know, when you look at the track record of 2020 and then the 2022 midterms, I don't know how we could logically look at this board of these states and say, I think now, after everything else the man has gone through, I think he could pick up independence in Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, um, 
and in these very important states, Arizona being another one, I mean, I don't know how he can win those that he lost in 2020 and that he kind of helped lose in 2022. So that's what worries me, that he is so popular with Republicans and we love him. But can he pull in independence at this point with everything against him? I have some serious doubts, some serious worry about that. And then the problem that that happens when you make an honest, sober analysis like that is that Tommy Lahren is now officially a rhino. Right. (laughs) I know. I get the same thing. But, look, it's like analyzing a baseball game, right? And I'm looking at the pitching matchups, and I'm looking at the history of this batter versus this pitcher, and overall, how's the bullpen, all that stuff. And and I come to the same conclusion that you do. Unless Trump stops talking so much about the past and focuses on the future and becomes disciplined, it's it's hard not to see a repeat coming at this point. But then again, you count this guy out, uh, as happened in 2016, uh, and he might surprise you. And then Joe Biden just continues to obviously – What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, diminish uh, himself in terms of both mental and physical capacity. So perhaps some Democrats, enough of them will stay at home that didn't in 2020 when they're energized. Anyway, Tommy, we are out of time. I have a feeling you have to uh, get on a plane uh, to warmer pastures, and I wish you safe travels. And thanks again for joining. Appreciate it. It's always good to be on the other side of the interviewing thing. But I want to come on OutKick real soon again with you once again. Yes, I enjoy it. And we have to get you to Tennessee one of these days soon, too. We need to get you out of this East Coast environment down to the south where Everybody loves everybody. I'm looking forward to it, Joe. That's it. I'm moving. I forget like a visit. I'm I am moving to Nashville. You tell me where I'm there. Thank there you, go. Tommy. Thank you, Joe. All right. Tommy Laren, smart. Move to Nashville. Say to Pete Hexgeth and God knows who else. Oh, man. Anyway, great interview. Loved having Tommy. And we'll be back. The Jimmy Fallon Show, Fox Across America. Your calls, 888-788-9910 when we return. The critics have spoken. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right, let's look at the board. All right, pick a number, any number. I'm going to go with caller and go 24th on the board because it's College Station, Texas. Another place I'd move to tomorrow. So I believe that's the home of the 12th man. The Aggies of Texas A&M. I am promoting or or rooting for my kids. Let's face it. I'm telling my kids, you're going south for college. All right? No Northwestern. No Syracuse. No University of Wisconsin. All great schools. But I went to school in Boston for a year. Emerson, great communication school. Don't get me wrong. But living there for a year in the misery of that winter, forget about it. I went south, kind of. Maryland. But, yeah, Georgia, Texas, Texas A&M, Alabama, the SEC, I'll have 29 teams by that time so that's that anyway rick how we doing are you an aggie as you said earlier yes the south where everyone is happy happy and friendly and i was singing aggie war hens when i was in diapers my dad was stationed in germany oh wow all right yeah tommy actually said that uh and she she couldn't love it more in, in nashville and tennessee texas all i know is the three biggest states that have people leaving All right. Citizens and businesses, California, New York, Illinois, all run by Democrats and the top three states are going to Texas, Florida, Tennessee, because of the low taxes, lower crime and more freedom. So that's that's all good. But anyway, I know you don't want to talk about that, Rick. What's on your mind? Oh, yes, I do. Please don't come to Texas. It's terrible. Don't move to Texas, for (laughs) God's sake. You know, you won't you will not like it. I I guarantee you. What's wrong with it? Californians don't belong. Uh, well, oh, well, oh, you're talking to California. I thought you were talking to me. I, I thought I'd be like, what? No, I'm no, no, welcome. no, 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 no. You're, you're very, very welcome. Okay. Please. <laughs>
Well, maybe that's the hey, problem, listen, right? California, enough of them moving to Arizona. They're turning that state purple. All right, I, I hear what you're saying. But if they <laughs> if they're leaving California, though, then maybe they're 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 changing their ideology as far as at least their perspective on what works and what doesn't. So don't spend what you don't have. Don't give millions of reparations uh, to, to, to people, particularly in California, where there was no slavery. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about giving people millions of dollars in reparations in a state that didn't have slavery in the first place. It's incredible. But uh, what's the migrant situation down there? We only get about a minute, but uh, as far as, like, illegals coming in, do you feel it uh, where you live, or is it something where it's a nationwide problem? They're not necessarily staying in Texas. I'm sitting here at my computer looking at a 12-by-12 glass window across 200 acres of beautiful green pasture to a four-acre lake, watching the cows, the deer, the armadillos, and the pigs. Ah. That sounds nice. I'm here. I can see a power plant kind of in the distance here in Jersey. Let's see. And then <laughs> somebody, somebody's dog's off their leash. Uh, yeah, I think he got me beat there, Rick. No question about it. When are the Cowboys going to win a Super Bowl again, more importantly? So it doesn't impact here. Let me get to my point real quick so yeah. you can be the first, the very, very, very first. Okay. I'm a newsaholic, live on the news all day long, hear all kinds of aspects. And when it comes to campaigns and why do people run, there's one thing they never, never, never have said. Why would Newsom want to run when he has no chance? Why would Scott want to run for president when he has no chance? And nobody ever mentions money money it's a chance to get lots and lots of money live a five-star life for a few months and give seven digit salaries to your friends and family and hopefully leave the race with a nice little war chest perfect way to end as we hear the the, uh, exit music coming on rick thank you that was a pleasant conversation he's right i mean a lot of this is about selling books nothing more everybody joe conchin for jimmy fallah back with more in just a moment Hey, Joe Conchin, in for Jimmy Fallon. On this Friday afternoon, May 19th, 2023. That still kind of freaks me out that we're 23 years. It's been 23 years since the 2000 election, Bush score. That's when I started getting away from sports and into more of the political reign because that was such a crazy election and everything that happened afterwards. But where the hell did 23 years go? I mean, I... I, I, I can't get over when I, I, I see like these graduation parties going on now for kids in college and they're the class of 23 and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> where, where, what happened? Uh, time flies, particularly when you have kids. It, it just, I, I don't know where the past 10 years have gone. I, I honestly do not. Uh, Debbie Lesko, uh, however, doesn't want to talk about that. She wants to talk about everything going on in Congress these days and, and probably particularly and, and Congresswoman, welcome to the show. Thanks for, I don't think we've ever spoken before, but this will be fun. Well, thank you for having me. It will be fun. Absolutely. Let's start off the fun, as a matter of fact, with what happened yesterday on Capitol Hill, where you had this congresswoman named Lauren Sanchez who thought she had this FBI whistleblower named Marcus Allen dead to rights because someone on her staff, I guess, found a random Twitter account of a guy named Marcus Allen, which is kind of a common name, at least Marcus is, and Allen's a common last name, and thought that a tweet belonged to him talking about January 6th being staged by Nancy Pelosi. And what happened afterwards is probably the best unintentional comedy you'll ever hear. Congresswoman Lesko, I just want you to react to this uh, when we come out of it. Go ahead, guys. Cut whatever. Go. Yeah. Have you ever used Twitter, yes or no? I have utilized Twitter, yes. Okay, and is your account... 
at Marcus A97050645? That is absolutely not my account. Okay, that's not your account. Well, on December 5th, 2022, an account under the name Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, That quote, is not my account, ma'am. You haven't let me finish the question, you sir. Might have been the football player. You haven't let me finish the question. On Dece- and the time is mine. On December 5th, 2022, an account under the name of Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, quote, Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th, retweet if you agree, end quote. Do you agree with that statement? Yes or no? No, ma'am. That's not my account at all. I have I'm no asking idea. whether you agree with the statement that this person tweeted that Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th? Yes I, or I no? No. So, Congresswoman... Let's say I went online and I found an account that was uh, Debbie Lesko 843U9. And it said something like, I uh, think that the sky is green and uh, it's going to snow tomorrow in Texas. And then I ask you, oh, do you believe that? And you say, wait a minute, this isn't even my account. Oh, well. Okay, do you agree with that statement? I've never heard a more stupid exchange on Capitol Hill in my entire life. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this because that, that took the cake. Well, well, sadly, I have heard uh, just as stupid or more stupid exchanges on Capitol Hill <laughs> because I live uh, on – I was on Judiciary Committee during the impeachment of Donald Trump, and the oh. things that were said were just out-and-out out lies. And, people, you know, people – this is an example of how – Congress members have a message they want to get out there, and they don't care what, what the – they ask the question. They don't care how the question is answered. The guy had nothing to do with it, and, but they want to keep talking about it because apparently they had nothing else to talk about. Now, the thing that was – you know, that is important for people to know is in that committee hearing, you had FBI whistleblowers that were saying that there were political things going on in the FBI that made them feel uncomfortable. And when they came forward, they were either, you know, had their classification taken away from them or they were fired. This is wrong. The politicization of the FBI and the DOJ is absolutely wrong. And I'm so glad that Republicans are in control of the U.S. House of Representatives because we can deal with this with the funding of those agencies, whether it's targeted funding after Christopher Wray, the FBI director, or if it's targeting certain programs we can't let this continue this is outrageous we're talking to congresswoman debbie lesko and that, that, that's the thing here i would think look i don't know i'm not surprised by anything anymore but i would think at least here that it wouldn't be this contrived hearing where democrats automatically go against the witnesses that republicans bring in regardless of the of the evidence that they share and just make this a, a, a problem where you say look this is an issue in terms of our justice system, our intelligence agencies obviously need some reform. I would think we'd be in agreement on that because I'm old enough to remember James Comey uh, in the 2016 election. And then afterwards, every Democrat saying, that, oh, my God, the FBI is corrupt. Comey is the person that cost Hillary Clinton the election. It just seems like every time, whatever, whenever a party loses an election, whether it's presidential or midterm, then automatically other forces are blamed. And in this case, it's actually true what Republicans are alleging based on the overwhelming evidence that we've seen to this point, and obviously we saw what happened with the Durham report. Are you surprised, I guess I'm asking a rhetorical question here, Congressman Lesko, that the Durham report, given 
the reputation that John Durham has had in Washington uh, for many decades, and he comes to the conclusion that Trump-Russia collusion, that investigation never should have been launched because it was based on limp evidence from the Steele dossier, that the media, almost all of media, dismissed it and even mocked his conclusion because, well, he didn't offer to prosecute anybody? Well, you know, unfortunately, I'm not surprised. I mean, this has been going on. I've been in Congress now for a little over five years. And as I said, I was on Judiciary Committee during impeachment. So I saw what was going on. So everything that was in the Durham report, the Republicans already knew. We were already saying it. And this, the Durham report, just confirmed what we were saying was absolutely true, and that Donald Trump uh, was put in front of impeachment on totally false information and that the Department of Justice, some actors in the Department of Justice and some bad actors in the FBI were involved in it. They knew that it was uh, the Steele dossier dossier was paid for by the Clinton uh, campaign, and they went along with it for political reasons. And in the Oval Office, um, President Obama and Vice President Joe Biden were briefed on this. And they went ahead with it anyway. I mean, it is unbelievable how corrupt things are. And the more years that I spend in Congress, the more I see this. And so when people come to me with conspiracy theories that are said to be conspiracy theories, I don't totally discount them now. Because some of these conspiracy theories are true, and the media, the mainstream media, is totally an arm of the Democrat Party. They cover up the Hunter Biden laptop thing. They don't, you know, it's just unbelievable. But you know what? Republicans still won the U.S. House of Representatives against all of these odds, against more fundraising for the Democrats, against the media being on their side. The thing is, is that people are smart. and. At least the majority of the people this time around elected more Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives, and thank God we did, because this that hearing wouldn't have even happened under the Democrats. And we're talking to Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, and you're right about that. All of these hearings are being held, and, and the media is trying to ignore them or downplay them as, as much as possible uh, when we saw whole – programming be wiped out for for the so-called january 6th commission which didn't allow for the cross-examination of witnesses but hey besides that a completely american process where do you see congresswoman as far as we're coming to this deadline uh, on the debt ceiling do you ultimately see a deal between the president and kevin mccarthy Uh, because you're the only party that's actually put forward an actual solution to this while president biden just is playing a blame game and trying to fear monger through the press well, I certainly hope so for the sake of the country. I mean, we were the Republicans were the adults in the room. We put forward a responsible debt ceiling bill. We passed it out of the U.S. House of Representatives. No Democrat in Congress in the U.S. House voted for it, but we were responsible. What it does is extends um, the funding of fiscal year 22, then responsibly says, okay, we're going to increase discretionary spending by 1%, but in exchange for that, we need to rein in control of this out-of-control government spending. We have $31 trillion in debt. Do you know that our interest payments on our national debt are projected to exceed the entire budget of Department of Defense in just a few years? We, We can't continue to do this. This is a national security risk. As well as a financial risk. And so we are responsible. We said, okay, we'll increase the debt ceiling. 
through March, the end of March of next year. But in exchange for that, let's get this out-of-control government spending uh, under control so that we don't bankrupt our entire country. And that's the amazing part. And we're talking to Congresswoman Debbie Lesko. I'm working on a book now. It's called Not Your Daddy's Donkeys. And it talks about how the Democratic Party used to be at X and now it's at Y. And Y is way, way to the left, right? And we lived at a time, Congresswoman, where in the mid to late 90s, you had a Republican House of Representatives led by Newt Gingrich working with a sitting president in Bill Clinton who – Going into 1994, uh, took an absolute uh, shellacking in those midterms later that year and at least had the political savvy, if you want to call it that, to say, "Uh uh-oh, whatever I'm doing ain't working. I have to compromise with the other side. And they came up with this thing called a balanced budget amendment, which is remarkable that we actually had a surplus in this country and the parties worked together in order to achieve that goal. Can you see that happening again, or does social media make it really hard for the parties to work together because you have all these performance artists like AOC and Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff uh, looking to score points with their constituents by taking cheap shots instead of doing their jobs? Well, I think it's possible. I mean, I'm forming a bipartisan energy solutions Congress uh, caucus in, in the House. And so I think when we can agree on certain things, Republicans and Democrats, we should try to agree. On the other things, I'm going to battle them, you know, like this, this Durham report and how the FBI is abusing their authority. I'm going to battle the Democrats on that. And just yesterday, the Republicans passed out of the House a bill that would uh, basically says we support the police, we're against the funding of the police. Well, 117 Democrats in the House voted against it. Like, this is insane. Wow. Why would anybody vote against supporting police? You know, this is this is what you said. The Democrats have come to it. It's a totally changed party. And when they're supporting men in women's sports and, and going after women's rights, which we all fought for for years, that's another insanity. Right. I mean, we have to we have to keep uh, the Republicans have to keep pushing. We have to keep pushing our legislation. I know that the Senate is controlled by the Democrats and the president is a Democrat, but it is up to us. The, the American people elected us to be in power so that we could push back against this radical agenda. And I'm telling you what, if we don't do it, we're going to lose our country because when we have a Department of Justice, an FBI that have bad actors in it, that are politically going after the Democrat opponents at the U.S. president level. I mean, for goodness sakes, they impeached a U.S. president over false information. That means they can go after you and I, and and this is wrong. We cannot turn into that kind of country, and I'm afraid that we are. And final question for Congressman Debbie Lesko. We only have about a minute or so, so see if you can tie a bow around this. Uh, Have you given any endorsement yet as far as the GOP primary? Do you support a specific candidate or are you waiting to see who jumps in and then make your own decision? Well, I haven't yet, but I'm talking to constituents in my district. I mean, I President Trump, the, the positive thing about President Trump is he has a proven track record of getting things done. And like I said, the more and more I see of what is going on in Washington, D.C., the more corrupt it is. And he had a way of cutting through the BS and getting things done. And so he has that proven track record. But I have to admit, Ron DeSantis is a 
great governor, does some great things. So this is a hard one. It's a hard one, but we have good choices. That's the great thing um, on the Republican side. We have great choices, uh, and they are all better than Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, Congresswoman, unfortunately, there are eight months to make these decisions, and I, I come from the perspective that I have to see Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump on a debate stage. And I, I want to see that exchange of ideas. I don't think they're all that distant on policy, but I, I just want to see how that goes. And then from there, make an educated decision. But anyway, I want you to go uh, enjoy your weekend. Uh, obviously, you'll still be working. Joe Biden probably, uh, you know, usually at this time, the, the lid has been called. But uh, thank you for joining us on this Friday. Enjoy a beautiful spring weekend. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That was fun, that interview. See, I told you it would be fun, everybody. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Fallon, back with more in just a moment. Fallon, what am I saying? Critics are calling it the funniest show on the radio. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, maybe. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I almost had it. And welcome back, everybody. Soundgarden. This Friday afternoon, this song is 29 years old, I want to say 1994, so you're welcome, America. Oh, man, we got Greg Stubbe coming up. That is the congressman from Florida. I want to talk to him, obviously, about Ron versus Don. It looks like it's happening. We all knew it would eventually. <laughs> DeSantis has been going to Iowa, New Hampshire, talking to donors. This has been going on for months now. So anybody who thought, ah, I don't know if he's going to run. I think Trump tried to preempt him by getting into the race. What was it, November? It was like two minutes after the midterms were over. And I I think the reason for that was obviously to try to convince Ron DeSantis from afar that, okay, you want to enter this race. This is what your life's going to be like as far as the attacks on a daily basis. uh, De Sanctus, De Sanctimonious, uh, the nickname hasn't exactly stuck. The attacks have been not very effective, I don't think. When you challenge DeSantis and say, hey, Florida's not that great of a place to live, and it's always been this way, and Charlie Crist was actually a better governor. I don't know. Uh, the, the mass exodus didn't start happening, or I was to say the, the mass influx didn't start happening in Florida until DeSantis came along. That was a state that was purple, 50-50, you know, flip a coin. Obviously, the 2000 race is an example, and every presidential race since then has always been a one- or two-point race, and then DeSantis wins the governorship re-election by nearly 20 points, wins in Democratic counties like Palm Beach, Miami-Dade. I mean, these are deep blue counties. So I think that's that, that attack from Trump or saying that DeSantis kept Florida closed too long during COVID, uh, no. Uh, in fact, that was one of the first major states to open. Texas and Georgia, yeah, a little bit ahead of them, but uh, DeSantis got that state reopened well before almost every other state in the country, and obviously his residents appreciate that. He's at about 60, 60% approval rating uh, in the state, over 90% among Republicans. Unemployment rate, 2.5%, when the lowest in the country. Crime is at a 50-year low in Florida, and obviously I talked about all the influx of people and businesses into the state where DeSantis has a problem was one that was self-inflicted with Disney where, look, all right, yes, they were against the parental rights and education bill, which is utterly ridiculous. I mean, what parent I am one uh, would object to, hey, I don't want you to uh, teach my kids in first and third grade about sexual orientation and gender identification. Yeah, almost every parent, I don't care, Democrat or Republican, doesn't want their kids being taught that at any age for that matter. That's a conversation between a parent and their kid at home when the time is right. But to go after Disney the way he did, it was anti-capitalism. 
right, as far as going after their tax breaks, which obviously that helps them build more stuff around that area and hire more people. So that's where DeSantis failed. I'm sure that Trump's going to hit him on that. But either way, we've got a heavyweight fight coming up for the GOP nomination. That is certainly for certain. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Congressman Greg Stubbe on the other side of the dial. Back with more in just a moment. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fallon. I am a Fox News contributor and a columnist for The Messenger. TheMessenger.com just debuted this week. It's got steak. It's got sizzle. It's got opinions from all over the map. A novel concept. Wow. Fair, unbiased reporting, along with opinions from the left, from the right, and everywhere in between choose to read the stories that you wish and the opinions that you wish. Wow! And maybe that'll bring in a wider net of an audience. It's founded by Jimmy Finkelstein, who once owned thehill.com, sold it to Nexstar for something like $150 million, uh, and then for the last year has been building uh, The Messenger. So please do check it out. I I think you'll find it refreshing. And look, if you're looking for just one side and one perspective, you're not going to get it. Sorry. Uh, and I, I, you got to appreciate that. That makes it unpredictable. Unpredictable is a good thing. That's why I, I praise Bill Maher. I don't agree with a lot of the things that he says. But at least every Friday night, he will go against the grain. He doesn't care what his studio audience in Los Angeles has to say or what the MSNBC and CNN people have to say. And he has spoken out against all the woke stuff and, and the cancel culture and has Republican, prominent Republican guests on that show as a result so you'd think that CNN and MSNBC would learn from that and put people like that on their networks. But no, they, they go with the echo chamber, and that's not a way to go. And that's why the five so popular. You know, you, you, you will get some opinions from the right. You'll, you'll get it more from perhaps a pragmatic, uh, centrist point of view, I think, with Dana. You get the legal stuff from Judge Pirro. You get the funny stuff from the wise-ass stuff from, from Jesse Waters and Greg. Uh, and then, obviously, you have a Harold Ford Jr. there that makes some very cogent arguments for the Democratic side, and that's why it's a number one show, and it nearly gets 3 million people at 5 p.m., which is insane because you're talking about 2 o'clock in the West Coast. People are working, and it's still that show beats everything. And people forget this was... A summer fill-in show. Twelve years ago, when Glenn Beck uh, and Fox parted ways, and they're like, all right, just put the, the, Roger Ailes said, the, the former chairman of Fox, the, the late Roger Ailes, said, all right, put five people around the table, and, and let's have a conversation and see how that works. <laughs> Look where it is now. I mean, it's, 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 it's obviously the, the highest-rated show on Fox, on cable news, sometimes in all of cable. And, uh, and they've changed the, the cast over the years, and the, the formula is there. And now you have other networks actually trying to do the same thing. And it just isn't working because you need the talent and the chemistry in order to do that. You cannot teach authenticity. Someone taught me that once. Anyway, the big story that appears to be emerging, and particularly next week, when Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, decides to jump into the presidential race. Now, he hasn't declared to this point, but Donald Trump has been treating him like his number one threat and number one opponent since November. Probably, as I was saying last hour, in an effort to convince DeSantis and his people, you don't want any part of this. All right. This is going to get ugly. And you could just be the nice, popular governor of Florida and finish out your term and run in 2028. As Trump says, you know, when it's your time, instead, it's the you're disloyal. I endorsed you five years ago. Therefore, you can never challenge me on anything. Apparently, that's the way that loyalty pledge works with Trump. And the thing is, though, DeSantis had to govern after he got elected. It's not like, well, once he got in, then, hey, great, 
I'm just going to create now a state that is now ruby red, right, as far as that state and Ohio, for that matter. Those used to be two of the most key states to win in any presidential election, and now they are gone. They are red, right? But then again, Georgia and Arizona, which used to be layups for the Republican Party, now those are purple. So now Republicans have to win in those states, and they didn't in 2020. And then you got Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, which are left of center states i'll call them purple i guess but they lean all democratic because the union presence that's in all of them uh then you have to capture at least two of those three states in order to win the presidency so the electoral map always lines up better for democrats simply because they get that nice 54 electoral vote head start in california and then another i think 30 in new york before you know you blink an eye and then republicans have texas yes but we we don't have another red state that that brings in that sort of uh, electoral prowess automatically being handed to the Republican Party. So anyway, here's the way it's going to work with Ron DeSantis, I think, as far as this candidacy. For starters, people that say that he can't win because he's already down by 30 points and you can't come back from a deficit like that. Look, he hasn't declared for starters. He hasn't campaigned for starters. He hasn't unleashed all this money that he's raised, and he has far outraised Trump in, in terms of donors and, and the big donors uh, seeing him as the future of the party and not Trump, who has a lot of baggage with him. Okay, so those are all facts, all right? I'm, I'm not laying out like a partisan opinion here. Now, all that said, DeSantis has a very uphill battle because Donald Trump in 2016 blotted out the sun when it came to media coverage, 17 people ran against him. Good candidates, right? Ted Cruz was one of the candidates. Jeb Bush, who was a popular governor also in Florida, was one of the candidates. And obviously his brother was a former president. So you have the name recognition there. And I could go down the line in terms of Marco Rubio, obviously a candidate, Carly Borina, who was uh, a CEO of Hewlett Packard, uh, John Kasich, who was a popular governor in Ohio. I know everybody out there saying, oh, the rhino. Yeah, but at the time, before you really got to know Kasich, before he went to CNN and really exposed himself, again, uh, it was a purple state, Ohio, and you had John Kasich at 62% approval. So you see all these opponents, and then Donald Trump jumps in, and then the media sees the ratings, they see the clicks, and then all the focus is on Trump. Good, bad, and ugly. And all those other candidates could not get any oxygen whatsoever. But then it came to the debates, and still the Scott Walkers of the world in Wisconsin and Jeb Bush and even Ted Cruz, you think, okay, they have a puncher's chance here because, well, they've worked in government for a while, and Donald Trump's a political novice, and he says some crazy things sometimes. He's going to say something that goes way, way over the line, and people are going to be turned off. Like uh, with John McCain, for instance, and him not giving him any credit because he was a war hero. Like you hear that, and you say, wait, that should be a disqualifying comment. But the, the people that support Trump loved it because I guess they felt that he was fearless and politically completely and totally in, incorrect without a filter. And he was going to cut through the noise and actually get something done as an outsider. And that really appealed to people. So DeSantis is going to have that same exact problem when we get to this primary and when he jumps in. Can he get the eyeballs? Can he get the attention away from Donald Trump or at least not even 50-50, give me, you know, 60-40, 65-35, right? And then is that attention going to be positive coverage or negative coverage? It will be overwhelmingly negative because he's going to be getting hit from many sides, right? The pro-Trump side and then also from liberal outlets who some analysts on there, if you want to call them that, say actually that DeSantis is worse than Trump. And oh, by the way, these networks all have a vested interest in Donald Trump being the nominee for the reasons I've laid out because he is the guy who's good for business for them. Is DeSantis as good for business for him? Probably not, because he's not as provocative. So 
they'll be rooting for Trump to get the nomination so they can see him fail in the general. So it's also an ideological play as well. So DeSantis has to overcome that. So where I see this whole thing coming down in terms of like the key moment, just like with Reagan Carter, Reagan Carter in 1980 had one debate and one debate only. And Reagan was trailing Jimmy Carter. Can you believe this? At the time going into that debate, despite the fact that we had record high inflation, the gas lines, obviously horrible, the failure in Iran, the hostage situation. Still, it's really hard to knock out an incumbent, even a Jimmy Carter who was failing it seemingly on all fronts. And then Reagan did so well in that debate. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. You know, uh, are you better off than you were four years ago? I believe was the slogan. Uh, and, and most people to that very simple question answered, no, absolutely not. We are not better off than we were four years ago. And Reagan went on to win a landslide election and did so again in 1984, where he won 49 out of 50 states and probably could have won 50 out of 50, but he wanted to be nice and let Walter Bondale win his home state of Minnesota by not campaigning there. But he very easily could have taken that as well. So that's the point. The debate will be the whole key between Trump and DeSantis. And I mean the first one, right? I, I don't think you get a do-over once an impression is made. And remember, when Trump did his first debate in 2015, I remember I was down at the Jersey Shore. It was in August. I watched it on like a 19-inch screen because I was like in a rental property. It was the only TV they had. And uh, 24 million people tuned in for that. 24 million. These are unthinkable numbers for a primary debate. And Trump owned the stage that night. Maybe you it was awkward, some of the answers that he had, and he was unorthodox, but people loved it because he didn't sound like a typical politician. So DeSantis, that is the time where he has to draw a contrast with Trump and mainly make the argument that, and he, he made it today, and he's going to probably make it again. He made it with, on a call with donors where DeSantis said, basically, there's three people in this race, right? So in other words, he's discounting Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, who's probably going to run or he's going to announce very soon, or Mike Pence or uh, Vivek Ramaswamy or Asa Hutchinson. Uh, he's basically saying, there's three people in this race and only two could win. Me, that's DeSantis saying that, and Joe Biden. Donald Trump has no, Trump, uh, no chance to win. And when you speak to people who aren't hardcore Trumpers and they're, they're kind of pragmatic and they're objective and they look at this thing with, with a clear focus, given the, the current history after 2016 where – Donald Trump is president, lost 43 state, uh, seats in the House of Representatives. Then in 2020, lost the presidential election and the Senate. And then in 2022, when you had some impossibly favorable matchups in Pennsylvania against a John Fetterman, who had a massive stroke and couldn't put a coherent sentence together because he was still suffering from that stroke. He had what was called auditory processing issues. And he barely campaigned because he couldn't. And they still didn't win because... Trump endorsed Dr. Oz, who's a Jersey guy who's on TV, and he was seen as a carpetbagger, and that's what won that race for Fetterman. Obviously, down in Georgia, same thing. Red State. Brian Kemp, who won going away against Stacey Abrams, and Herschel Walker couldn't hold on to enough of that support to avoid a runoff with Raphael Warnock and then loses the runoff. So that was number two race that was lost that should have been won, and there you go. The Senate is 51-49 in the hands of the Democratic Party. So now in 2024, is that what's going to happen all over again? Because I, I'd love to say that this is going to be a presidential race based on policy, policy differences. I would love to see that because then it's like, okay, on inflation and the economy, who do you trust more, Trump or Biden or Trump or DeSantis or Biden? And you take the Republican there. Who do you trust more on crime? Now I'm talking about a majority of people. I, I know there's hardcore on each side, but overall, if you're independents, 
right? You're the blue dogs. You're, you're suburban women. Who do you trust more on crime, the Republican candidate or a Democrat? Republican. Who do you trust more in terms of fixing the border, the Republican or a Democrat? I'm asking rhetorical questions here. Republican. Even on education, who do you trust more for our kids to get the best learning environment they possibly can to, to uh, get themselves ready for adulthood, considering that we have ACT test scores at a 30-year low? Who do you trust more, Republicans or Democrats? Republicans win that argument, too. And on foreign policy, who do you think would stand up more to China, the Republican or the Democrat? Come on. So if it comes down to those very, very easy questions, then the Republican wins regardless of whether it's Trump or DeSantis versus Biden. But then the problem is there are so many people that will vote against Donald Trump no matter what the condition of the country is because there's a personal animus there. So then you wonder, is DeSantis the better candidate because he doesn't have the baggage that Trump does? And I'm not talking about the legal stuff. I, I think all, the, all of that stuff that's be, being thrown at him obviously is being done for political purposes. There's no actual crimes there when, when you drill it all down. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, in general, Donald Trump not having the discipline to capture the voters that he did in 2016. Is he a stronger candidate now than he was in 2016? I don't know if the answer is yes to that. So is DeSantis the right person for the nomination? Maybe. Maybe. But, but he doesn't have the foreign policy experience that, that Trump does, particularly in terms of standing up to China. And Ron DeSantis has never stood up to the national press before where Trump has. He's done a good job in Florida in terms of pushing back. Can he extend that to the national level? And then, I'd hate to say this, but it is a personality contest to a certain extent. We saw that with Barack Obama, even George W. Bush against a wooden Al Gore, Bill Clinton versus a wooden George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan versus a wooden Walter Mondale and Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry, there is a personality aspect to this, and obviously Donald Trump with Hillary Clinton. And on personality, I guess it's Trump. I mean, sometimes it, that there are portions of his personality that turn people off, but there is more flair there, and maybe that means something. So I guess I'm going to conclude this segment here by saying I have no idea what's going to happen. But I do know that that debate in terms of DeSantis' performance will really offer people, is he a true alternative to Donald Trump? Will Donald Trump act immaturely on that debate stage by throwing out the nicknames and, and trying to just basically bring the conversation down in the mud? Or do people want somebody who's more of an adult in the room? And that person could be DeSantis. So that's all I'm saying. Wait till the debate. Everything else until then is all speculation, which is what we do in cable news and on the radio. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Back with more in a moment. You're riding around with America's cabbie. Taxi! Taxi! You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. OMG. The only three letters that are coming to mind right now after you read this story in Wired on Pete Buttigieg's profile, actually. So let's keep that music going, guys, if you don't mind. Because this story by Virginia Pepperman. Here's the title. Pete Buttigieg loves God, beer, and his electric Mustang. Sure, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation has thoughts on building bridges, but infrastructure occupies just a sliver of his tumultuous mind. It goes on. The curious mind of Pete Buttigieg holds much of its functionality in reserve. 
even as he discusses railroads and airlines, down to the data that is his current stock in trade, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, comes off like a Mensa black card holder who might have a secret go habit, or three-second Rubik's Cube solution, or a knack of supplying off the top of his head the day of the week for a random date and... 1404, along with a non-condescending history of the Julian and Georgian calendars. This thing continues, listen, back to the other voice, as Secretary Buttigieg and I talked in his under-furnished corner office one afternoon in spring, I slowly became aware that his cabinet job requires only a modest portion of his cognitive powers. Other mental faculties, no kidding, are a portion to the Iliad, Puritan history, and the original Norwegian slackers. Fortunately, he was willing to devote yet another apse in his cathedral mind to making his ideas about three mighty themes, neoliberalism, masculinity, and Christianity, intelligible to me. Because Buttigieg, at 41, is an old millennial, because as a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, he got his first PPE, Philosophy, Politics, and Economics, the trademark degree for Labor Party elites of the Tony Blair era, because he worked on optimizing grocery store pricing at McKinsey, because he joined the Navy in hopes of promoting democracy in Afghanistan, because he got gay married to his partner, Chaston, in 2018, and because... As mayor of South Bend, Indiana, he agitated to hipster entrepreneurism and high-tech investment to his Rust Belt hometown. Can you believe this is actually a story and not an opinion piece? Who wrote this? Wait, that's right. The name once again, sing it with me. Virginia Hefferman wrote this utterly slobbering, just nauseating piece. It's insane. I, I I can't even get my... That's only the beginning. This goes on for 4,000 more words. Uh, you have to read this. I know I shouldn't be give, giving traffic to this because I'll think it's actually good. Wow, look at the traffic numbers on this. But this thing is being mocked from the left and right. Even the left is like, are you kidding me? This is what you write? Pete Buttigieg loves God, beer, and his electric Mustang. Of course it's electric. If it's electric, it's not really a Mustang now, is it? Because it's the rev of the engine. That, that makes you feel the car. I, I, I don't even want to continue with this, but I enjoyed reading that, particularly with the background music. So thank you, uh, producers, on that. Ah, the transportation secretary. They really want him to be president, don't they? And one day, because we're stupid in this country, at least half of us, we may get it. Joe Conchin for Jimmy Fallon. Representative Greg Stubbe of Florida on the other side. Back with more in a moment. Play, say it's your birthday, because our crack staff tells me that our next guest, Congressman Craig Stewart of Florida, is celebrating his 39th birthday today. Congressman, congratulations. Happy birthday. <laughs> I wish it was 39. The but line it is my I birthday, use. So thank you. Oh, sure, sure. The line I use is I'm celebrating the 8th anniversary of my 39th birthday. 
<laughs> there you go. And that kind of throws yeah. off the scent enough where people start to do the math in their head and they can't quite figure it out and, you know, whatever, you seem younger. But uh, what, what's the family doing for you as far as it's a Friday night, so that, that works out well. They're, they're going to take you out to uh, the local Arby's or what, what, what do you do for the uh, the birthday? Yeah, there's a nice local restaurant here that has frozen daiquiris, so we're going to try that out. And actually, we're, we're, we're regulars there, so. Oh, nice. Good, good. Well, definitely enjoy. Uh, but obviously, you, you want to talk business right here, and there's a lot of business going on on Capitol Hill these days. I want to get your reaction to a, a soundbite that when I watched it yesterday online, I could not believe how utterly stupid the person that was asking the question actually came across. And, and, and I, as a former Raider fan uh, who has met Marcus Allen, the Hall of Fame football player, uh, USC, uh, Super Bowl champion, obviously one of the best runs, probably the best run in a Super Bowl against the Redskins many years ago, uh, 72 yards to clinch that game. Uh, Apparently, here we had an FBI whistleblower up on Capitol Hill, and his name is Marcus Allen. And you have this congresswoman, Sanchez, actually pulls out a tweet from some random person named Marcus Allen on Twitter who has 118 Twitter followers (laughs) And then says and tries to make the claim that this Marcus Allen, the FBI whistleblower, wrote a tweet saying something about January 6th and Nancy Pelosi being behind it all. I'm going to play the clip for you, and then I want your unfiltered, totally candid reaction. Cut whatever. Go. Have you ever used Twitter, yes or no? I have utilized Twitter, yes. Okay. And is your account at Marcus A970506045? That is absolutely not my account. Okay, that's not your account. Well, on December 5th, 2022, an account under the name Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, That is not my account, ma'am. You haven't let me finish the question, sir. You might have been the football player. You haven't let me finish the question. And the time is mine. On December 5th, 2022, an account under the name of Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, quote, Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th Retweet if you agree, end quote. Do you agree with that statement? Yes or no? No, ma'am. That's not my account at all. I have I'm no asking idea. whether you agree with the statement that this person tweeted that Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th? Yes I, I or no? No. I mean, Congressman, I don't even know how to respond to that. It's like, okay, there's this random tweet that we just pulled here. We thought it was you. It's not you. But we're still going to say, okay, will you defend the person that wrote that? <laughs> Did yeah, you will hear you, that emotional will you reaction? The, will you still answer the question? Ma'am, that's not my account. Well, that, 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 I, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to answer the question. Would you answer the question? Like, <laughs> it's amazing how... Oops. Guys, try to get the congressman... Oh, oh go ahead, congressman. We, we, we had a little bit of a, a rough patch there as far as your connection. Yeah, that, that, that these people are testifying under oath and the best that she can come up with is attacking them based on something that's not their Twitter account. And you have FBI whistleblowers who are talking about how the FBI has weaponized against conservatives, how they've gone against them, how they've lost their jobs, lost their security clearances. And all the Democrats did the entire hearing was attack the witnesses. These guys are like – Army veterans, military veterans, Marine Corps veterans, honorably discharged, served overseas, served for various, like one guy was eight years FBI, five years SWAT, like 20 years FBI, and they're attacking the individuals and not trying to actually talk about the fact that you have prima facie evidence of individuals 
who were kicked out of the FBI because they used a federally sanctioned law to whistleblow on the horrible things that the FBI is doing. Now, Congressman, Director Ray and A.G. Garland, they, they have claimed on the record, congressional record, that they do not retaliate against whistleblowers. Will you be calling, uh, the committee be calling Ray and Garland back up to the Hill to say, look, this is the testimony of people that have worked for you, at least in the, in the case of Chris Ray, and, and you're saying this doesn't happen? How does that square against what these guys, who came about, came about, by the way, and went to Capitol Hill despite death threats and despite the fact that retaliation will happen if it hasn't happened already, I, I, I would wonder if Chris Ray is coming back to the Hill anytime soon. Well, I'm sure that that's on the plans for uh, Chair Jordan because we have other people that testified as well that are FBI whistleblowers that weren't willing. To, they were so afraid of what was going to happen to them and being treated the way that these witnesses were treated by the Democrats that they didn't want to publicly speak. So we have even more than just the four or the three that testify. There's like two dozen that have come forward. Uh, so I certainly hope that's the case. I signed on. If I haven't done it yet, we're going to sign on to an impeachment on Ray, an impeachment on Garland um, for a number of different factors. But from the mere fact that they testified to Congress that they're not going to go after whistleblowers and retaliate, and you had direct evidence that that's exactly what's happening in the FBI and the DOJ. It is disturbing, and here you have an FBI that has uh, really weighed into and, and impacted and perhaps changed in their actions uh, the last two outcomes of the 2016 and 2020 presidential elections. And we're talking to Congressman Greg Stubbe. I, I wonder what happens from here as far as reforming the FBI. And the, the efforts from the GOP House are admirable in terms of finally looking into all these allegations and bringing forth actual whistleblowers, actual witnesses in this in these situations. But it must frustrate you to, to, to a certain point, Congressman, as far as then you turn on the evening news, ABC, CBS, NBC, you turn on other networks not called Fox, and suddenly no one's talking about any of this testimony. Or if they are, they are downplaying it or dismissing it and mocking it. So it's hard to get traction in these situations when you have a media that is serving at the pleasure of the Democratic Party and therefore is not covering these hearings with remotely the vigor that they did during the last Congress. Well, I believe we have to use the power that we have in the House that the American people have given us to completely reform the FBI. And the way you do that is through the appropriations process. Uh, FISA is up for reauthorization in the next year. We don't reauthorize FISA. We don't reauthorize the FISA court. We start going after these certain entities that have been created by the FBI internally, and you defund them. You defund these different organizations to send a very strong message that we're not, we're not going to stand for this type of activity. We're not going to stand for the weaponization. And, and the mass majority of this is coming out of uh, Washington, D.C.'s office. And so there's a way to do that. And even and Jim Jordan in a press conference that we had right before the hearing yesterday said the same thing. He was asked the question, is this going to come with uh, financial and, and um, reduced amounts for certain budgets for the FBI? And he, he simply said yes. So I think that is the only power that we have because we don't have the Senate. So any bill that we pass to reform the FBI is going to die in the Senate, just like the immigration reform bill we passed. Last week is going to die in the Senate, and every of these great conservative reforms we pass in the House is going to die in the Senate. But if we use the appropriations process to start putting some um, pressure on them to change the behavior, it's pretty much all we can do until we elect a Republican president in 24 who can reform the whole thing. And we're talking to Congressman Greg Stubbe. And, yes, the 2024 election, not just about who controls the the Oval Office, whether that be Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott – 
obviously a long way to go till Iowa, something like eight months, and we still don't know on the Democratic side if Joe Biden will eventually make it to the finish line, whether he decides that maybe I don't want to be in the Oval Office till 86, or he's convinced not to uh, run again because obviously his polling continues to go south as people have major concerns about not just his age, age is just a number, about his mental acuity. But the Senate also, Congressman, is very interesting because there are very winnable races, probably the most favorable yeah. map you'll see for the Senate in some time, where you have Montana, West Virginia, and Ohio all up for grabs. Ohio, Mike DeWine, the governor there, won by something like 24 points, right? And obviously you got Congressman, uh, I'm sorry, Senator Vance in there now. Montana is definitely up for grabs with John Tester vulnerable. And then West Virginia uh, with obviously – you have Manchin, who Joe may Manchin. very well jump yeah. into the presidential race, for all I know. Uh, but you have uh, Mr. Justice there, the governor. Uh, those three, they're flipped. You you win the Senate, and then things truly get done. Yeah, and we'll at least have the House and the Senate in Republican hands. But we've got – in order to really change all of this, we have to win the White House. There's so much corruption in the DOJ and the FBI over years that have occurred at these different institutions because of Democratic control in the White House. We need somebody that's going to come in, clean house in all of these places, and completely change the way that these organizations operate. And on the endorsement front, you, you've endorsed President Trump. Ron DeSantis, obviously, your, your governor there, won by almost 20 points, one in deep blue counties, uh, one with Hispanics uh, and, and women, suburban women particularly. Uh, so when you look at this race, in the end, what made you go with the former president as opposed to the governor and DeSantis? Well, mainly it's because President Trump is the only guy that can walk in on day one and do all the things that I just said. He's been there for four years. He knows exactly how things operate. He knows the mistakes that he made by putting certain people in positions that didn't do the things that he wanted them to do to root out the corruption, get rid of the people that were bad, and really institute the type of changes that need to happen. And that's the only person that can walk in on day one and do it. And on the political side, in Florida, Governor DeSantis' state, He's winning. Trump is winning by like 20 points. He's winning by 20 points in a poll I've done in my district. If you look statewide, it's all even bigger than that, sometimes 23 to 25 points. So not only from the policy side can he walk in on day one and fix all of the egregious things that the Biden administration has done, implement the America First agenda, he's also politically in the best position to do that. Well, I certainly agree with you there at this point right now, Donald Trump, uh, certainly with, with a huge lead. In terms of general election, do you believe that Donald Trump is a stronger candidate now than he was in 2016 and he could win all those folks that I just talked about, suburban women, blue dog Democrats, independents? What's the Trump message to get those folks back into his corner? Well, if you look at the polling, the, the indications are there that he can. There was another poll that just came out recently, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but he was beating Joe Biden in some of these polling locations. I think the Biden administration has gone so far to the left and done so much progressive. I mean, like you have moderate and, and um, Republican, you know, Democratic women who probably voted for obviously voted for Biden, but they don't want their daughters to be playing against a male in women's sports. They're going to start voting for the Republican candidate because those type of things are happening all across America. So the, the country has gone so far to the left, immigration, fentanyl, Afghanistan, all these horrible crises that have been completely manufactured by the left. And, and the economy that Biden inherited was one of the best in our nation's history that they've destroyed. Um, I, I think those moderate women, those suburban women, those independents, 
are going to flock to President Trump simply because of how bad the policies of the Democrats are. And that's the thing when people say, well, this will be a repeat of 2020. The argument has to be also put forth because it is a referendum on the setting president, even though Donald Trump changes that equation a little bit. But Joe Biden has a record he has to defend now. He can't just sit in the basement and say, Donald Trump, bad, vote for me because I'm a good guy. He has to defend inflation, crime, the border, foreign policy, education, uh, all things that you just mentioned. Anyway, we're almost out of time, but I have to talk to you about this. As a former college baseball player for about five minutes myself, uh, <laughs> Division Three. I'm not, I'm not going to say that I was playing at the University of Florida or anything like that. I can't believe still, and I always wanted to talk to you about this, that you knocked a ball out of Nats Park, which is not exactly home run friendly. It's not Camden Yards. And you pitched five innings, 120 pitches, which no Major League Baseball player since, like, Nolan Ryan is throwing these days. So, I mean, that had to be, like, the apex as far as your athletic career. Am I wrong on that? Well, I never thought as a member of Congress that I'd make ESPN top 10, but uh, <laughs> you hit one out of Nats Park as a member of Congress in the congressional baseball game, and suddenly you, you make ESPN top 10 and all these other things. It's a lot of fun. This this year's game is June 14th. I'll be back on the mound again pitching for the Republicans. I'll be starting, and uh, if the Democrats are willing to throw some strikes to me, hopefully I'll hit another one out. Oh, God, DraftKings, please. The, the gods at DraftKings, let me bet on this. I mean, this is this is a no-brainer. I can't see it. Who, the, who the Democrats have thrown for him? Like, you know, Eric Swalwell? I mean, this is a cakewalk. You're, you're going to win this, I'm telling you. But anyway, happy birthday once again, sir. Enjoy. Uh, you didn't say margaritas. I believe daiquiris tonight, right? So enjoy yourself yeah, and uh, enjoy daiquiris. the weekend. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Congressman. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. We wrap this puppy up when we come back in just a moment. The show not afraid to call out both sides of the aisle. He's the other side's worst nightmare. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Today with Joe Concha, Fox News contributor. We usually like to end on a, you know, they call it a kicker in the business, like a light note. But I'm sorry, this this stat is going to ruin your weekend if we haven't done that already with all the bleak stuff we've been talking about today as far as the economy and education uh, and, and obviously everything else going on in this country as far as debt and crime and so on. But Mayor Eric Adams of New York City, he's a former cop, a detective, and he's supposed to be kind of the anti-Bill de Blasio in terms of taking the crime situation more seriously. I think he talks a big game, Adams. I don't think he he's not de Blasio. No one's de Blasio. No one is that inept and, and, and that corrupt, quite frankly, in destroying New York City, my former home, 96 in Columbus. Those are some good years. But the point is that what's going on now in terms of this border crisis, which our media is so unbelievably, I'll use the word again, corrupt, where we had border crossings drop from 6,500 a day to 4,200 a day after Title 42 went away. And the media celebrates that as some sort of victory. You morons. Jay Johnson, who was Director of Homeland Security under President Obama, and President Obama deported more people than any president since Bill Clinton, which is ironic that, that Democrats were the ones doing the deporting more than the, the Republicans, believe it or not. And Jay Johnson said it is a full-blown crisis in this country if 1,000 people are crossing in illegally per day. And we're at four times that, more than four times, and the media's like, oh, see, there's no problem anymore, you morons. And, then, and guess what's happening now? So many migrants have entered this country that in New York City, okay, and this is going to be cut 18, guys, 
Let's share exactly how many New York City hotel rooms are being used by illegal migrants for free. Cut 18, go. And so in order to address an onslaught, you have to have places you can put people. New York City is the hotel capital. We're the hotel capital. Tourism, visitors, sporting events, graduations, and it's a major economic engine for us. Almost 50% of those hotel rooms have been taken up by migrant asylum seekers. Oh, 50%? Have you been to New York? You know how many hotels are in New York? It is the tourism capital of the country still, believe it or not. And 50% of them are going to people who aren't paying for them. And we're celebrating this. Oh, although they'll do the jobs that Americans won't do. No, they won't. They're living in a hotel room for free. And then since that's happening, that's driving up the cost of people who just want to come to New York and get a hotel room because supply is low. Does anybody see the madness of this? 20 gyms in New York City are being used to house illegal migrants. Next to your kids going to school, that's what we're doing. And guess what? You're going to run out of gyms, and you're going to run out of hotel rooms, and then what are you going to do? And then what do we have? The press secretary to the president saying, well, the Republicans are playing games on this for a photo op. No, can we have some serious people trying to solve some serious problems in this country? Because that is out of control. 50% of New York City hotel rooms are being used by asylum, asylum seekers. Uh, no, they're not asylum seekers. I don't even want to get into it. I want to end on a happy note. Thank you to all my guests today. Tommy Lahren, Carol Roth, Debbie Lasko, Greg Stubbe. Thanks to the producers as well. And thank you, the listener, for having me into your whatever you're listening on. Joe Concha saying, have a great weekend. You stay cool, America. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.